Hi, and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the critical podcast all about shooting games. My name is Edward Smith, I'm your host, and joining me as ever is my first co-host, Reed McCarter. Hey, Ed. Hey, Reed, And my second co-host, Patrick Lindsay. Hello, Ed, and also Reed. Hi, Patrick. Hello. Hi. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Mirror's Edge, the 2008 game by EA Dice, uh, published by EA central um noted for its attempt at doing free running and platforming and jumping puzzles but from a first person perspective uh probably also noteworthy for the fact that it tries to sort of backbench shooting uh there's not a huge amount of gunfighting in this game but when it does appear it's quite interesting and the fact that the game tries to avoid shooting wherever possible is worth debating in of itself and of course, the sequel will be out by the time this is published, or, or just afterwards. Yeah, somewhere around there. Just around there, yeah. In the uh, I think about the month that this goes up in the neighborhood, exactly. Um, uh, a sequel has actually taken quite a long time to materialize, uh, eight years or so, because yeah, it's been Mir- in development for a while too, eh? It has, it has. Uh, but the first Mirror's Edge was a sort of mixed bag critically and. Uh, I don't know if it's underwhelming commercially, but certainly not a uh, you know, big AAA kind of hit. I, I am surprised that there is a sequel, I will say that. I think that it's largely the result of fan outcry, and, you know, uh, they probably just had some sort of money left over and thought, you know, sod it, let's do this for a change. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's get into discussions on the original game. Um, I think it's worth also noting, just before we start as well, that one of the things is probably worth going in if you've not played Mirror's Edge, uh, going and sort of looking at some screenshots just to sort of see how the game is designed and painted. Um, it's got a very sort of sparse white on red aesthetic, and the idea is that objects that are red or highlighted in some sort of color are the ones that you can interact with. So uh, as you run, you don't have to be sort of looking for the next platform; you can just leap to it because you can see it illuminated in bright red. And we'll be talking. Uh, how effective or ineffective or, or jarring or not jarring that is. Um, so let's go first to Patrick. Patrick, what are your general opinions on Mirror's Edge? What do you feel about it? I like Mirror's Edge. Um, I know that I'm in a, not a huge minority, but still somewhat of a minority. Um, I think that despite the fact that it commits what is probably the first cardinal sin of first-person perspective games, which is don't have platforming puzzles, because that is pretty much all this game is, um, I think it manages to handle it in a way that is really innovative. I actually like the the visual design. You it, you had said kind of as a throwaway comment, Ed, let's talk about how the game is painted, but I think that's very poignant. The game does almost have sort of a, a, a painted quality to it in, in its minimalist design. Um, there are definitely some areas where it uh, falls down or doesn't live up to its potential, but I think that for the most part, it's a really refreshing take on a genre that really needed a refreshing take circa 2008. Yeah, I think it arrives at a very interesting point where um, you know, Call of Duty Modern Warfare had released a year before shooters were pretty much about to set into the homogenousness and um, the sameness that they've been in pretty much ever since. Uh, Mirror's Edge might be considered a kind of last hurrah for a different type of shooter, I'm not sure. Reed, what do you think of uh, the game? Um, I like it, but I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I think, 
yeah, I think uh, it's worth talking about the way that game looks. Um, it looks really interesting. Um, like you were saying, it looks painterly, but I, I would say painterly in the sense that you paint um, the walls of an art gallery or mm. a modern building. You know, it's like these perfectly uh, even colors everywhere. It's just slabs of color. Um or lack thereof. And it's interesting the way that kind of ties into what they're trying to do in the story, which is sort of about this future that's, you know, ruled by corporations and blah, blah, blah. And the story is actually not that great, but the way the visual design reflects that, these, these huge monolithic skyscrapers and, you know, big white corporate buildings and, and all of that, I think is really interesting. There's a lot of... Um straight lines very sort of stark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah concrete yeah stark stark is the word that i had in my mind as well yeah yeah and i i would agree with reed i think that the effect of that is twofold one it's very good at telegraphing where you're supposed to head which is something i've always found frustrating about platformers generally is this getting stuck and not knowing to which platform i'm supposed to jump and, and mirror's edge quite deftly uh gets around that but also yes it it feeds back into the story of kind of uh, this corporation has basically either built or substantially renovated the city and uh, done it in a very um, sort of computational and um, formulaic and straightforward style. Um, you know what? And you... Sorry, we're gone. Oh, no, no, I was interrupting you by accident. I just thought it's... The style of the game is like Swedish-Soviet, you know? Hmm. It's like all these these almost brutalist, like the buildings are just these giant slabs, but they have this sparseness to them that's like mm. very kind of IKEA showroom. Yeah. A lot of them actually look like you know how when you play a game that's made in say Unity, for example, um, and you get sort of like the stock Unity graphics that are yeah they're they're modeled but they're not necessarily textured or skinned. A lot of them look kind of like that. Mm, that's very true. Uh, I always think of Mirror's Edge as resembling a kind of trendy tech startup. With that kind of <laughs> yeah. that, that one brightly painted wall that's on you know the one side of the office and the sort of ceiling to floor windows and things like that, um, and yeah, uh, you you play as a as as Faith who is a uh, uh, what they call a runner and she's a member of a sort of underground resistance that's trying to sort of rebel and expose the corruption of this this giant corporation the name of which I can't recall. Um, I don't even think it. I think it's just the government. Like straight right. up, okay. It's something. There's um, like something. Oh my god! It's something Kruger, which I remember because I have a good friend with the last name Kruger, and so it always made me. You're think, right. We'll we'll call it the Dunning Kruger Corporation. It did have a D. <laughs> the, the damn Kruger Corporation. The damn the damn that damn Kruger Corporation. <laughs> That's right. Um. So that's the sort of narrative setup. The game is actually written by Rihanna Pratchett, who is. <laughs> Friend of the podcast because she wrote the excellent Tomb Raider, uh, which we uh, unanimously despised. Um, game of the century. Well, game I'm, of the century. I'm gonna feel like a jerk then. I forgot that she wrote this, and that was gonna be my main thing for this game: is what a complete shit show the story is. Yeah, it's it's badly told. It's told in these these dreadful animated cutscenes that look like this sort of samurai Jack. Uh, trendy Cartoon Network show um, and it's very sort of light I mean I think 
to, to voice, you know, to throw my general opinion hat into the ring. I like Mirror's Edge, but I think it suffers from this kind of, I don't know how to describe it, this just like lightness and airiness of touch. The whole game is kind of like in this voice, and it's like, oh, what if you can jump, and oh, the colours. And it's just a little bit sort of fair. Uh, uh, I don't know what that voice is, though. Well, it's just a kind of, yeah, probably not the best way to sort of uh, vocalise that opinion, but just sort of, just kind of... Um, I, I think not, I kind of know what you mean. Like it, not, It's not... It's not it's, twee, it's not it gentrified. It's, it's, it's almost kind of weightless. Yeah, weightless. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Which mm. is funny because it's a game that's entirely about momentum. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a, a an advertisement for like a, a new mobile phone and it's kind of floating around and you get like kind of contours of this very cold... I think cold is a good word for Mirror's Edge. It's a very cold game. Yeah, but it has like... Um, it's like a yeah mobile phone ad but with like a ukulele. Yeah, the ukulele. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Just like give a little mm, bit of whimsy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Or, or like one of those inspirational images on the internet, which is you know like the, the sun rising over a field of tall grass, and says, you know you can do anything you put your mind to. It's like that feels like the sort of ambience in Mirror's Edge, which I find quite just just ineffectual and uh, a bit light. And I think that the aesthetic, that sort of painted aesthetic, yes, it's very clear, and it, it probably has some relevance to the story. But I also find it slightly disinteresting i would have preferred a game that was a bit sort of grubbier and a bit a bit nastier i guess i will sort of agree with you in that my 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 theory is that this game was designed mechanically first and then they imposed a story over it yeah um because there is nothing about the game's environments or anything else really that speak to an oppressive you know plutocratic governmental regime um I mean, granted, the the story states that this is a fairly new transition. Um, Faith talks about her parents being involved in the rebellion, for example. Um, but I mean, the people all have jobs and seem fairly in you know in in good order in terms of how they're taken care of by the government. Um, the only real way you know that this is a in any way dystopian is because they just flat out tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Uh- well, I don't know. Like, I, I would say, I, I think the only, really the only way that the story communicates anything about the kind of, or, or, you know, that it communicates what kind of world it is, is the environment. You know, just the, especially when you get into the buildings and they're, you know, like Ed put it, like tech startups kind of, it's, everything sort of looks like that. Everything looks utilitarian and unlived in, in a very mm. eerie way, which... Mm. I'd, I'd say is like probably the most successful thing they do in establishing that this is a sort of a police state that it's it's over sanitized and you know the dregs of society are, are kept pushed down in a corner you know the undesirables are hiding in you know faith's shitty little whatever that thing is cubby hole a literal of, hole in the wall yeah where she eats pizza and leaves it lying on the ground because she's a rebel you know, I, I think the environment does a good job of showing that this is the kind of world where there isn't space for anything to be grubby. Well, maybe there's something to be said then about the way that you move through these environments, because you're always sort of running, you're, you're often meant to be in motion, and you might sort of interpret that as, um, you know, in these spaces that, as you describe and read, utilitarian and 
uh, sort of lifeless. You are life, your movement, you're this kind of rebellious presence, sort of introducing um, uh, kineticism into these buildings. Well, yeah, and also, you know, mm. because, and, and this is, I think, one of the ways that's kind of clever is that uh, you, I think you can turn this on or off, but there are red objects that are kind of supposed to be the way that Faith sees opportunities to jump off something or grab onto a pipe or something like that. But they kind of um, make the world more interesting looking. So if you want to say that her, you know, doing her mission, running her stuff around, is her sort of injecting life into this staid environment, then these splashes of bright red are pretty uh, like pretty bold underscorings of, of that concept. Mm. That's it. I mean, I think that that is something that perhaps I've not thought about before, but it's certainly something that you could argue for Mirror's Edge is that it's, it, although thematically, I think quite sort of undercooked, it's at least consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I oh, think yeah. that the sort of corporate, the corporation side could do with more fleshing out. Faith definitely could do with more fleshing out. I think that the writing is very, very, um, sort of timid and, and not very imaginative but it's certainly you do get a sense of what we've been talking about of this sort of contrast between yeah stale corporate spaces and the sort of life that, uh, and the rebelliousness that that kind of life betokens um, when you're running through them um, but I think that another one of my gripes with it, I mean, I'm starting to sound like I don't like the game, which isn't true, but another one of my gripes is that it, it can often feel, to its detriment, quite stop-start. I think that you die too often yes. in Mirror's Edge. Mm-hmm. You, you get lost, you still get lost too often in Mirror's Edge. When Mirror's, yeah. Edge, when Mirror's Edge hits, and you're in you know, a perfect sort of free-running flow, and you can see where you go, and you're making successful jump after successful jump, it's great. It's like nothing else. You know, it, It's a real, real experience. But very, very often, I think it's kind of being held back by these slightly prehistoric notions of, you know, challenge and, and enemies and um, forcing players to solve a puzzle. I think the sort of ludic sensibilities yeah. of Mirror's Edge drag it down. I agree with you 9,000%. Um, That's a lot. Again, yeah, I mean, it, it is absolutely one of those games where when it's doing what they intended it to do, it is perfect or near perfect. But then they do bog it down with all these these gameisms, which I don't know if those sprung up as a need to sort of inject narrative believability into the plot that they're trying to force on us, or or if it is just a we need to make some sort of challenge so that we can extend the shelf life of this game. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. it it goes against its own intuition far more often than it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it too, because you. It, it feels like at certain points when they have these security guards, which I don't think are the worst idea. A lot of people, I think a common criticism of this game was that uh, there shouldn't be any guns in it whatsoever. And, and I think you can have a few, but later in the game it just becomes a process of you running into a room, not quite being sure where to go and you get gunned down. And you have to yeah. keep doing it over and over and over and over. And it feels like the game was always supposed to be about well maybe the highest challenge comes from climbing something that's a little bit more difficult than you're used to or making jumps that feel like you shouldn't be able to make them um 
but then they have these sections where you're just dying really quickly. Mm. It's it's tough because a game like Mirror's Edge, um, it you have to straddle a line between creating a mechanical sort of framework that is consistent with what the character is supposed to be narratively and just making a game that is fun and interesting to play. And Faith, as a sort of veteran runner, um, obviously she's not going to have trouble scaling walls or you know jumping off buildings or whatever, but the player does. Um, and I think it's one of the biggest points of tension in the design is mm. how do we create challenge for the player that doesn't actually detract from the mechanical you know slash narrative uh characterization that we're developing for our protagonist well i mean you get that that tension between those two things is evident even in the game's tutorial section where it's on this kind of hamstrung pretense that, oh yeah we're going to give you a just a refresher just to bring you up to speed yeah um but that's you know that's a very very sort of limp context for a, a tutorial um, and you can tell straight away that this is intended only for the player. This isn't something that sort of uh, that faith needs to be doing. Um, what I'd like to kind of posit is something I've I've wondered about Mirror's Edge. I imagine a version of Mirror's Edge where essentially it's it's impossible to die, where you you get shot at but you never get hit. Um, you make jumps for hundred percent of the time. You know, a, a game that is stripped down mechanically to the point where all you're doing is 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 flowing and is running and jumping now i think that that would create an interesting experience i think that that would be conducive to making the player feel that sense of liberation and scale and um freedom but also i guess that part of the satisfaction of mirror's edge and of, of maybe of games generally is feeling as if you've overcome something that you've done it regardless of the yeah. mm-hmm. possibilities to be killed so if you take that away, you strip the game of a lot of sort of meat and tension and, and bite. Um, yeah, there's a there's a physicality to the game that if faith, I mean the guns are one thing, but uh, it's actually in this really macabre sense, really satisfying and terrifying when you miss a jump off the side of a skyscraper. And the game, the audio is fantastic. It's just this yeah. rush of yeah. wind and then like a wet thump. And it's, you feel kind of sick as, you know, the screen starts like whooshing, you know, as you get the sense that she's just like in complete free fall. And so it's scary. So your palms actually get a bit sweaty when you're really high up because you know that that's a possibility. Um, the only thing I'd say is, Ed, when you say like, a game where you can't really miss the jumps and everything, I think that's kind of what Assassin's Creed does, right? Mm. And those games, I think they've always had a... They, they always tweak how it feels to kind of run up buildings and jump across rooftops, but it's largely just holding a button and the character just does it, which I think mm. is largely fine for what they're doing. But it doesn't feel... You know, in this game there's all this great effects of of jumping across to a pipe and the sound of her hand slapping against the metal. And, mm. you know, it has this... I don't know. I, I feel like there's... A, it's a very physical game, yeah. Yeah. And and if if she was too safe all the time, I don't think you would get that same sense of weight mm. to everything. This well, is um this is a bit tangential, but have either of you ever played a game called Photonica? 
No. I've briefly played it. Um, it's similar in that it's another game that's about free running, but it is exactly that. It's free running abstracted from any sort of narrative or thematic context. You're just a wireframe, you know, pair of forearms that navigates a wireframe sort of track, and you run and you jump and you fall or you don't. Um, and it is really satisfying to play, but there is absolutely something that Mirror's Edge has that that game doesn't. I think it does come from the sense of um, overcoming the sense of danger that you get mm. when you're making jumps or if you're out, you know, outrunning armed guards or whatever. Um, mm. So I think those moments are necessary to make Mirror's Edge what it is. I just think that they aren't always, the, the balance isn't always struck in the best possible way. Yeah. But maybe that's it. I think, yeah, maybe Mirror's Edge kind of needed a, a another draft, as it were, to straighten some of the, especially the later game moments, to straighten some of those out and, and telegraph the route a little more clearly and maybe remove some of the enemies or, or just put you, I think that a lot of the later levels, they put you in these too smaller environments. Yeah, like there's a level where you play on like a cargo ship or something. Yeah. And yeah, it's right. just miserable because you can't you can't move. Yeah. Um it's like they tie your hands behind your back or something like that. Yeah. I mean the the, the interior of the offices some of those bits are great and sort of smashing through the windows and sliding down the facade of this skyscraper and then jumping and landing on like a balcony. It's, that's really good. But yes, when it puts you in these, there's a bit where you're kind of crawling around the vents of this in, uh, warehouse, and it's it, it is it's it's just the antithesis of what that game ought to be. Um, but just a note on what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago about the sort of physicality and the tactility in Mirror's Edge. One of the touches that I really really do like is that you have to press a button as you're coming in to land to sort of execute a roll, and if you yeah. if you mistime it, you know you sort of you hit the ground too hard and she kind of grunts. Um, and it reminded me of uh, it reminds me a little bit of like Gears of War's kind of active reload um, and things like that. Well, yeah, it's, uh, that kind of stuff I think is really smart because it's it's not a direct punishment in terms of like you're not necessarily going to die, but you feel like an asshole, you know? Mm. Because if you're running and you're doing this great, you know, Faith is flipping off things and jumping and springing off you know cushions and stuff and then you land and she just stops and just goes Ugh. Mm. Like, see in in a way i think that's more punishing than if they just killed you well i know because right? the the entire purpose of the game is for you to maintain this flow and this momentum and you kind of running and jumping and then stopping dead and then having to start again from nothing is almost worse than if because if you die you just you you know you respond to a checkpoint or whatever you can go again but this is it's it's almost more embarrassing. Yeah, flub a jump. Have Have either of you played Ollie Ollie? Yes. No. Reed, you have. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so there's a similar touch in that. I mean, uh, it's a skateboarding game, a sort of two D side scrolling skateboarding game. And as you're coming into land, every trick you have to press X before you hit the ground to sort of perfectly time a landing. And if you perfectly time it, the bottom of your green, the bottom of your board briefly flashes green, and it's really satisfying you get this thing that comes up and says perfect landing um now if you if you hit an obstacle you fall off the board and you just tap the screen you instantly restart and that doesn't feel like as great a punishment as you were saying patrick as mistiming a landing and kind of breaking your line and not getting as many points from the tricks as you could as if you'd perfectly landed um 
and yeah, I think I think Mirror's Edge could have maybe played with that a little bit more. That the, the punishment ought to be, oh, you you broke the flow. Yeah, it is similar in Ollie Ollie because he uh, the skateboarder will, if you if you don't land it quite right and he doesn't wipe out, he'll kind of just you have to start gaining momentum again. And yeah. it's it's yeah, I I think that kind of stuff is really interesting when you uh, are feel free enough. If you're a designer who feels free enough not to have sort of conventional challenge constantly, you know, that that kind of stuff is a good slap on the wrist to say you messed up. Mm. Also, just, just thematically, I really like it when games make a sort of task out of doing a thing that we generally tend to take for granted, like reloading a gun in Gears of War. It's mm. like, I've never reloaded a gun. I would have no idea how to do that, but I would imagine it's probably not particularly simple. Um, just like landing off of a 12-foot jump into a perfect roll is a, a thing that I don't think many of us or any of us could do. Um, and that's kind of the appeal of a game like Quop, right? Like the idea that you take something really, really, or that we perceive as really simple, like in that case, walking, and you just show it for what it is, which is an incredibly complicated series of micro-tasks. Um, and yeah. I, I like when games do that. Yeah, uh, I think that there is this this awful tendency in games to streamline things i mean I, I see it most evidently in games like call of duty where you, you know you're, you're pressing buttons just one button to like spawn a robot that will unlock press the x to you. launch the nuke or whatever yeah, exactly you know and, and technology is kind of used as a uh, a sort of filler for that you know you've got a gadget for everything in these kinds of games and they they, they just you know you get like a phone out in watchdogs and you press a button and you're like hacked you know, everyone's phones in the whole area, you know, with just like the single push of a button. And it's all this kind of power fantasy. Which... Bullshit. You know, I think... This is just going to become like my refrain on this podcast, is that I think everything has its place, you know? Mm. In Call of Duty, it doesn't bother me quite as much. It Maybe Call of Duty is easier to get annoyed with things just because there's so many of those games. And if you keep playing them, then you small things that you might not have noticed start irritating you. Um, but Call of Duty, I think, is supposed to be you know, sort of like an Uncharted, or it's supposed to be something where it's got this momentum. You're always you're always mm. just barreling ahead. Um, but something like Mirror's Edge, you know, you do want all of these... You want a halfway point between realism and uh, power fantasy. You want to well, be... If you, look at a character, if you look at a character like Faith, who doesn't I mean, I'm sure we'll dive into this, but who who doesn't... She's not powerful in the traditional video game sense. Um, her strength, her power comes from her movement. So I think yeah. downplaying that and automating it would be a huge disservice to the character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true of, of Call of Duty, it's true of Watch Dogs, that certain actions in games, hacking or, or you know, launching a missile, they need to be extracted to a certain degree because otherwise you'd... You know, have to spend like four or five hours in game time plotting coordinates or you know hacking physically. So obviously it can't just be like you know verisimilitude all the way. Um, but yeah, I think that there is also something to be said for, as in Mirazeshi's case, as Patrick put it, kind of just putting that little extra interaction on something that we take for granted, like the reloading, like timing your your roll. Um, it just lends a kind of a weight. Um, it gives uh, it gives the character an expertise that you might not otherwise realize that they have. Precise. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It makes you sort of observe more acutely their ability. 
Um, but I think you touched on something that, that makes a good next talking point, Patrick, which is Faith herself. Now, she's quite a weak character in the, in the sense of uh, direct combat in this game is, is you know, best avoided um, to the point where whether you avoid it, whether you want to avoid it or not, you pretty much can't do it. The game will just pretty much kill you if you try to take on more than one person in, in direct combat. Um, no, I mean... I, I think that that's a way of encouraging players to always look for the sort of free running route out and to try and dodge and to try and use Faith's cognition to, to find a solution rather than sort of barreling into people and attacking them. But I also, I'm not sure whether that works every time. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like there's a lot of instances where maybe if there's not force on you, basically confrontation is... What's the word I'm looking for? It, it's, it, it's invasive too often. Like there's there's too many situations where uh, there are too many guards. Yeah, um, the first few times it happens, I actually I don't I don't mind <clears throat> when it's small bits of it when you run up and you kind of trigger her reflexes. You know, things <clears throat> slow down and you uh, grab the gun out of the guard's hands and she does this great thing where. Sometimes she just kind of smacks them on the back of the head to make them to make mm. them fall over, but it gets to the point where later in the game you have to do that over and over, and you have to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. grab a gun and I, you can see what they were going for because I think the idea was, you know, you run around this room and you disarm some people and you almost super hot style, right? Like I, th- I think mm. that's like a similar kind of flow where Faith is so perceptive that she can just grab guns off people. And, you know, disarm them and keep moving. Um, but no, it doesn't really work. It looks very well, clumsy as well when you could kind of like bopping a guard on the head, then bopping another guard on the head. It looks very. Um, it looks great the first like, time you do it. It's a, you, it's a really neat thing if you're like you're running to make a jump and there's a guy in your way and you yeah. sort of like pluck him on the nose. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're like in a room, an enclosed room, and there's like four or five guys and you have to just go around and like knock them each on the head, then it gets it, it, there's a weird sort of tedium about it that makes it kind of odd. It does look like a messy video game at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think that. Mirazage just needs to kind of pass down the number of enemies that you confront. I think that the way I would have framed it, and the way that I expected it to be framed, I think, when I bought the game, is that, you know, you encounter a guy with a gun maybe like once every couple of levels, and it's like a big problem. Um, yeah. But certainly, it's, you know, and it, bullets and gun, you know, it's like a one shot death scenario, and you've really, really got to avoid it. And, uh, but the later levels, you you start to become a little bit more of a soldier, um, and that's when the game sort of uh, starts to struggle for me. I'm going to disagree with you somewhat and say that I don't think it's the number of people with guns that's the problem, because it does sort of make sense if you're this government that's really only being challenged by this kind of renegade group of runners that you're going to throw everything you have at them. But I, I do agree with you that in the later parts of the game, it becomes problematic. And I think that's because we have this sort of ingrained idea that video game enemies are supposed to be eliminated. Mm. Whereas whereas Faith is not a soldier. She is, uh, she is literally a runner. Um, but the developers know that if you see an enemy, you're going to want to remove it, which is why they gave you like a one button 
takedown, which makes sense, but at the same time, it it does also lead to this sort of tedious kind of comical, um, like button pushing sequence that we're talking about. Hmm. And I mean, I I, I think that and maybe this is one of the reasons why I'd probably make quite a bad video game design. I'm not sure, but. I would have used enemies and guns and shooting in that game as mere sort of set dressing, and I wouldn't have had any combat in it at all. Like being shot at would have just been a sort of implied danger, um, and running from bullets would have just been a, a, a bit of sort of seasoning on a scene, as opposed to something that you actually have to deal with. Well, you don't know what the kids want. Well, <laughs> they want to. I have exactly. I have this weird idea about. Something I wish games would do. I, I wish there were a game where there was a boss fight that was unbeatable. They put you in an arena with a boss, and you can't beat it, and your only recourse is to run away. Um, I mm. think that would be a really cool sort of narrative beat for a game. And Mirror's Edge would have been a perfect place for something like that to happen. But mm. alas, I think that's been done before, hasn't it? You have you have a boss fight in Mirror's Edge that you win. Earlier on, there's some guy that you you beat who's like a major character, and it's like a sort of framed boss fight, um, and you fight him. Uh, has it been done before? Like Fortune, maybe Metal Gear Solid Two. Oh yeah. And to some to some extent, I mean, you just have to kind of hold off against her before the elevator gets there, and yeah, that's true. Yeah. Whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Can I want to talk about this story though? Let's sure. do it. We talked about this story. What did you guys think of it? Do you remember? Not um, much. I I think, <laughs> I it. think I, it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, there's just nothing to it. I mean, it's it's threadbare, not in a kind of uh, you know meaningful sort of not much dialogue, but it's all implied kind of way. I mean, it's just it's just like half arsed. Yeah, there's no stakes. There's there's no reason for you to believe that this government is actually bad or something worth fighting against because they give you no stakes at all mm-hmm. yeah um there there's a murder early on and your sister who's also a cop is implicated but other than that there's no reason for you as a player or a player character to take umbrage with any of the things that are happening in that game mm-hmm. well it's it's silly too because they kind of try to position this murder as as kind of a conspiracy but i think that the plot is such a waste of the setting in this game yeah, you have this. Is, yeah. You have this kind of cyberpunk near future, you know, corporate dystopia, and the story you tell is just kind of a a murder cover up that feels like you could do the same thing in you know, modern day New York or something like that. It it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of half ass noir story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always thought about this game that they kind of had this great. All the set dressing is great and. You know the the visual iconography of the characters and the city and kind of this corporate run world where you have these people subverting it by running around delivering you know literally packages with information is you could do something really neat with that and it's amazing how this game does like fucking nothing with it. Nothing. Like it's, yeah. It's almost breathtaking how much of a waste it is of of uh, this great setup. I would have pared it right down, and at the start of the game, you're given this bag, and you're told, you know, in here is, you know, the the flash drive or the documents or whatever that's going to bring this thing down, 
and the entire game is just you trying to get from one end of the city to the other to deliver it. It's like a newspaper office, and and that's it. Yeah, I well, you know? I think I w- you can do good things with a story. You know, let the world breathe, and, and yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah, I think imposing a really heavy-handed sort of trope-laden narrative like that is an indication that you don't trust your writers enough to carry your game. Mm. Yeah. That's sad. You're kind of, you're kind of, maybe one of the problems I have with Mirror's Edge is that in a lot of the levels, I don't know, I feel like it ought to be a game about running away, but in a lot of the levels you're running into, you're trying to get into the corporation, you're trying to kind of take them on, rather than run away from them. Yeah, and some of the really great moments too are when you are leaving a place. Um, Yeah. You know, when the guy comes over your intercom and says, get out of there. You know they're coming yeah and you have to run and there's you know police or security with, with guns coming for you and, and your guiding faith as she jumps across rooftops and you know onto cranes and everything i think that's a that's where the game's really strong those well, that gives it, it it gives it its sense of urgency that makes it really just purr because mm. what makes that game exciting is the fact that you're always like two steps ahead of people who want to kill you yeah yeah yeah, and, um, and that's the thing, right? Like, if... Um, Patrick, you're like a cyberpunk guy, aren't you? So, yeah, sure. You're a you're a man-machine, aren't you? Um, a man-sheen? I sure am a man-sheen. A man-sheen? But... Yeah, so, oh, God, that's... I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm calling your mother immediately after this. I, I'll tell you what you are. You're a bro-bot. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> Thank I don't you. even run this podcast, and you're fired. <laughs> Thank you. So, I don't know, Patrick, Like, to, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't a lot of cyberpunk kind of about the idea that you have these massive power structures, but then there are people able to uh, kind of thread their way through um, what's been institutionalized? So if you have giant corporations with tons of security with guns, you know, in a cyberpunk story, you might have, like, a hacker who is able to bring them down from the inside because they understand something that they don't you know they don't they don't need financial power or anything like that so like when faith has this ability to she can run faster than these guys and she can you know slip through the skyscrapers and find ways to escape them that they wouldn't figure out like that's kind of what that story should be about i think Mm -hmm. It, it does come up a couple of times um, and that's actually they they sort of try and make that the the sort of MacGuffin the idea that they're now the Icarus Project, which is the the game's MacGuffin. They're training other runners to basically oh, yeah. counter counter you. Um, and that's the first like sense, the first real sense that you get that you're actually that you have any sort of advantage over these people is the fact that they're trying to emulate what you do to take you down. Mm. Yeah, they make a ninja. See- that that should be the thrust of that game. I think that's that's absolutely right. I think the game is at its weakest when the story and when Faith is trying to sort of take the guys on on their own terms, and you get into into combat. Um, yeah, it should be that kind of transmetropolitan idea of you know you're bringing them down because you can do something they cannot, i.e., run away. Um, yeah, that's that's when the game is at its weakest for me. Is when it abandons all of that and you're just fighting them hand to hand. Question. Did either of you use guns at all during your any of the times you played through this game? 
Yeah. Yeah, because okay. I, I did. I didn't. I I I disarmed a couple of people, but I instantly dropped their guns, partially because it slows you down, and partially because I didn't want to use guns, kind of as a point. Hmm. Yeah, it almost feels like you're not doing what you're supposed to when you use the guns. Yeah, you're not quote playing the game right or whatever. But there, mm. there are one or two parts toward the end where I was just, you know, bashing my head against the wall trying to figure out how not to use a gun, how to. Oh, mm. they re- yeah, they really tempt you. So there's like one place where you go into this warehouse floor and there are just kind of boxes everywhere and, and scaffolding. And I must have played that part for about two hours. And finally, I just I got a gun and kind of crawled around, like yeah, you know, the shittiest Call of Duty game, just very slowly peeking out, taking a few shots, going back. Uh, and it was the only way I could get through. And there was mm. one other part like that toward the end too, where it felt like it, it just was too much work to try to play it the way that you feel like the character should actually approach it. Yeah. And that, that to me is, yeah, one of the game's kind of fundamental sort of shortfalls. Um, I'd love that again. I, I keep sort of proposing these alternative uh, these alternative versions of Mirror's Edge, but I'd love it to have that kind of binary domain Portal Two sensibility where we're not going to kill anybody. You know, nobody dies in this game. Um, I think that would be a, a, a better version of Mirror's Edge. Well, why don't you go make it then, Ed? Well, I, I know, yeah. If you want these political, liberal, feminist games, why don't you go make them? Yeah. Stop making other. Stop making other people make them. Um. <laughs> yeah, but that, uh, that gamers are the worst. That would be. That would be my. That'd be my mirror's edge. <laughs> Ed's edge. Ed. <laughs> Mir- the Jesus. the edge, if you will. Mirror's yeah. Ed. Mirror's <laughs> Ed. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. Like, I, I hate to say, well, maybe this new game is going to do this, but there was a little beta for this. I don't even know if I should talk about this, because maybe this game's just going to be out by the time this is no, aired. But they they seem to have some of this stuff figured out, which makes me kind of hopeful. Mm. You know, there are sections mm. where you uh, attract the notice of police, and then a helicopter, kind of Grand Theft Auto style, kind of follows you around, uh, and you can't take it on anyway you just have to at least as far as i saw in what i played but you have to you know outmaneuver it you have to run away from it it's gonna track you down and and try to take you out so Mm. see i I think part of it is developers still just have this mortal fear of putting players in situations where they aren't you know lord and master of everything that happens absolutely yeah so you mean like that's why you would have to use a gun you would have to. Well, yeah. yeah, and the idea of putting a player in a situation where they can't eliminate all of the obstacles in their way, where they aren't the most powerful thing in the room, um, is really like it. Really, just doesn't stick with a lot of developers. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Play, players are, are very often treated like sort of cosseted, spoiled kids mm-hmm. um, who you know must have their own way and and must be the sort of highest object in the room and. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's a, a huge creative shackle. You know, you're, you're never gonna well, not never, but rarely will you find a game that uh, is sort of disempowering moment to moment. You might have these kind of 
turning the mirror on the player bit so I can spec ops, but actually sort of consistently making a player feel undermined is is rare. And even in horror games, you know, people say like these horror games where you don't get any weapons, that's kind of feeling, you know, lack of agency and disempowered. But you can you can get through Outlast, you can get through Amnesia just as easy as if you played a game with a gun. I mean you can still run and hide and avoid the monsters and load up and whatever and it's it's still pretty brisk. I mean those games Outlast, etc., a kind of an implicit promise to the player that hey, you'll never have to fight anything. You know, you can always just run away. So you're not exactly disempowered in the sense that you've always got an option. You've always got a way to sort of beat the the level. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's a. I think it's a tough challenge. Um, it is. That it is. That is still being. I think you see some progress toward it. It's you know, like everything, a lot of things in games, it's growing out of kind of the arcade culture right you yeah you need to move past that and explore that you can make a player feel different ways than in control uh mm, I, yeah I, I don't think it even i don't think it needs to come necessarily even from any sort of mechanical conceit i think that it can just be a dramatic one a thematic one it can just be a a, a process of implying through the fiction that the, the player is under the cosh as it were, you know, and I think some games do that. I think in The Last of Us, in a lot of places, you do feel genuinely ill at ease uh, and very sort of uncertain of yourself. Yeah, that's one of the only um, examples I could I could think of where you are never really more powerful than anyone else. No, exactly. I mean, you still have weapons and you still have abilities, but just the the sort of the the tone of the game implies a sort of disempowerment. You know, it doesn't have to be a sort of cheap mechanical conceit you know this is the game where you get no weapons this is the game where you die in one hit it can it can just be a dramatic sort of implication um and again mirror's edge sort of nearly gets there because you are told that you know this corporation is sort of an all-seeing eye and you do get those calls on the radio that say get out of there not turn around and fight but you know get out of there uh, and that is when the game really sings mm-hmm. yeah so, Mirror's Edge is half a good game. I I I think that there's a hell of a lot to be said for Mirror's Edge, um, and and also I mean this this thing I mean Patrick mentioned it at the beginning this idea that doing platforming and jumping in a first person shooter is a cardinal sin I don't I don't exactly buy that I was never particularly sort of flummoxed by um, Mirror's Edge or or whatever I, I always found it quite you know no more sort of frustrating or stop start than conventional platforming games um, yeah can't that I think it works fine can't that be put to bed now that idea that you can't platform and you can't uh, do jumping puzzles in first person when I, I feel like yeah. I feel like there are a lot of designers I think it just who... I, th- I think it just re- requires a specific set of sensibilities you really yeah. have to focus on the physicality of the game yes mm. absolutely because I, I think that's <laughs> it almost seems like that was you know being said a lot and then a bunch of different designers thought know fuck this we can figure this out and uh. figured it out like there's a game like I, I i don't like this game very much but uh that game dying light which is the yeah. it's like a zombie game but the main thing that's interesting about it is that you can kind of free run throughout the city and uh as you get further in the game a lot of it is kind of assassin's creed style actually far cry the later ones do this too where you climb things in first person and it's disorienting but you don't feel out of control because you see your hands and you look down and you mm. see your feet and you know it feels like that's 
that nut's kind of been cracked. Like, yeah, it's been, it's been figured out. Hmm. Maybe you know I'm what? just old school. Oh, you're just gonna hate it till the day you die. Nah, <laughs> I'm reasonable. I, mean, I I can be reasoned with. I mean, the the platforming stuff in the earlier Dooms is is horrible. Um, and Half-Life 2 and Deus Ex Human Revolution, I can't bear it either. But yeah, there are some first-person games that, that have done it right. I don't think it's it's like a sort of genetic, you know, original sin that just <laughs> can't be gotten rid of. Um, yeah, I, I, I never had any problems with it in Mirror's Edge. I, I always found it pretty, pretty fine. The, the problem I had was that, yeah, the, the route wasn't telegraphed often enough. I mean, you do have that kind of red on white um, telegraphing, but it, it, it fails, I think, every now and then. Yeah, well, we're, n- we're none of us perfect, are we, Ed? None of us is perfect. No. No, apart from... Mm, I don't think of like a perfect game. No, it doesn't exist. No. I think the clo- it doesn't exist. That, that'll be our next episode, will be you know, trying the perfect game. trying to find the perfect game. Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's not a, yeah. not a single problem. Ocarina of Time, obviously. Oh, Ocarina of Time is ten out of ten. Actually, Half Life Two. It's eleven out of uh, ten. It's too bad that we Half-Life lost 2 our Half Life Two is a fifteen out of ten. It's too bad we lost our Half Life episode where, you know, we just talked about how it was a perfect game for the entire hour. Oh, the best game ever made. That's right. We actually wrote a prayer to Half Life that we recited over and over again for an hour. <laughs> that's that's right. That's absolutely there was, right. This is a total sidebar, but I do remember there was one game in one magazine years and years ago, and they did give it eleven out of ten. <laughs> of course, as, they did. as like a oh my god, what was that? Let me talk amongst yourselves or something. <laughs> did not did did not Yahoo Games do that with Arkham Knight? Really? Did they not give it a six out of five. There, there was some, <clears throat> there was some, some good stuff going on when Arkham Knight came out. That it was, you know, it was what it was. It was the promise game. It was the game we had all been it waiting was, yeah, for. Yeah, it was. It was something like patently ridiculous, like that, where it was Arkham Knight, and they're like, "This game is more perfect than perfect." Yeah, I, that that might have been one of them. There, there are a lot of perfect games out there, though. You know, Grand Theft Auto Four is a perfect game. Uh, uh, what else has been perfect? recently i i think even metal gear solid 4 was a perfect game when it came out really yeah these are all games that when they came out they were perfect right you can't do better than them so well yeah you're right metal gear solid 4 was the yeah there we are half-life 2 in a magazine called maximum pc uh was given an 11 out of 10 there you go good lord (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it holds up, right? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with Half-Life 2 at all. Not only is there nothing wrong with it, there is more good with it than it is, than there is possibly than it's possible to have. It's literally a divine game. That's that's yeah. right. Yeah. I I yeah. yeah. I I wish there were notes alongside that kind of like a uh, theological debates alongside what you do, what the nature of Half-Life 2 is. If, mm. if it's perfect, but it's also beyond perfect. To play Half-Life 2 is to look upon the face of God. Yeah. That's what that review would have to read. 
like by its nature. Yeah, that's good. I'm yeah, I'm gonna do that for whatever the next game I review is, regardless. To of what to it is. to pl- to play Half Life Two is to step outside the boundaries of the expanded universe. It cannot be defined by maths, science, numbers. In fact, our brains can't even comprehend the concept of what Half-Life 2 is. Uh, exactly, we, yeah. The, the problem lies not with the game, but with the fact that we are two imperfect beings to be able to fully appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Actually, yeah. that's a fantastic argument, because how do you... Yeah, how do you refute that, right? You exactly. can't. And then, a, yeah. and then a cult grows up around Half-Life 2, and those are the people mm-hmm. who have glimpsed the godhead. Um, I think we're... God, why the fuck do they give us a podcast? Yeah, I don't know. Her corporate, well, we, we, her corporate sponsors we, we, are going to pull give, out. We give ourselves a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Carry yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> we just decided that we should have one. Yeah, so we can make these trenchant insights. Yeah. Why don't we shut this one down, then? Because obviously it's not going anywhere that anyone needs to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you could say we have lost momentum. Nice. That's right. Nice. Skyscrapers whooshing past our ears as we prepare to splat to the pavement. Yeah. Did we did we want to though legitimately talk about a little bit about the, the guns in Mirror's Edge? Because I mean that is kind of what we're here to do. One of the details I did like is when you collect a gun, you don't have an HUD telling you how much ammo you have left and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, which is. You know, it makes it feel like more of an external object. It's not kind of linked to your eyeballs directly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good point. I like that. Because I've always felt like the HUD and the sort of ammo bar, it, it is like the, you know, the gun is literally a part of your body. I mean, in a lot of games, it is. You can't put yeah. it down. You know, it is attached to you. Um, whereas in Mirror's Edge, it, it feels like something you picked up off the ground, and it, it feels a little bit kind of uh, ungainly. Well, it changes the way that you move. Yeah, she, yeah, um, exactly. It makes you. It, it literally makes you less than your best self. Yeah, yeah. She moves a lot more slowly, and she can't jump up onto things. Which I think yeah. is one of the only games I can remember playing that actually touched on the fact that the protagonist is not a hardened combat veteran. Hmm. Hmm. Even in games like Alan Wake, where he's a novelist, he picks up guns and instantly knows how to aim them and how to fire them and how to reload them, and nothing's wrong. Yeah, he's a, he's a total badass, Alan Wake. Well, George Orwell was like that as well. <laughs> you know, Hemingway was good with a gun. Hemingway, Hemingway actually was. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah, that's who I was going to say. Not quite a novelist, yeah. more of a journalist, but. Mm. Yeah, I also um, like that she can't pick up ammo and just automatically refill the gun and keep going. You have to you have to toss away whatever gun you have that's run dry and pick up yeah. another one because faith is no time for that kind of nonsense. But Superhot really does have a lot of common with this game. Yeah, because it's just, it's the same in Superhot. You have to throw your gun away, white on red, kind of clashing slow motion combat. Yeah, yeah. Tune in um, next episode for our our show on. Super hot versus Mirror's Edge. Super Edge. Super Edge, yeah. yeah. Mirror hot. <laughs> Mirror hot. <laughs> See, I it's a game that we talked about elsewhere. I think that we we talked about this on the Indie Megacast. I think that Reed and I were guests on this episode as well when we talked about Receiver. Receiver, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is like, which is a, you know an absolute flag in the ground for 
guns shouldn't feel as blithe as they do in video games because in, in receiver you have to do everything you know you've got several buttons on your keyboard and one is used to eject the clip another is used to sort of turn the gun upside down another is used to sort of insert bullets in the clip another is used to put the clip back in another is used to slide the slide back and then cock the hammer um, so it's a you know you, you have to get into the executing a perfect reload and then firing the gun accurately in, in receiver is sort of the challenge an achievement in of itself, um, and yeah, I do. I do like games that sort of impress that mentality. Yeah, I, I think receiver goes. Not to make this about receiver, but yeah, that, I think that's one of the examples of when we talk about Mirror's Edge, where you want to balance it being too realistic and too sort of fantastic. Uh, receiver is mm. a good example, I think, of going of of being realistic to the point where. I mean, I'm not some gun expert, but I have reloaded and shot a gun, and I found it more difficult in receiver than I did in real mm. life. Um, mm. You know, I, I think there's a happy medium. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always sort of receiver as a you know very much a, a statement, yeah, rather than something that's like uh, applicable broadly. You know, it's it's a kind of um, manifesto kind of game. <laughs> To, to coin a term, an awful term, um, but yeah, I do. That is something that I enjoy about mirrors and it, its treatment of guns. They they feel like foreign objects, and very rarely is that the case in games, especially shooting games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that you know when when the gun is like the most naturally used object in the game, then killing becomes the most naturally done thing, and in that process becomes sort of inconsequential and blithe and uh, problematic in terms of like representation if killing is the easiest and most natural thing to you then it, it's like a there's just nothing to the violence then it's just like what you do it's how you interact and it, it's not remarkable yeah no that's a that's a very good point and I, I think that is when you tie that back into something like receiver that is the you know you can make a big statement out of that Mm. The idea that these are mechanical objects that require input and will, or or should yeah they should they shouldn't feel natural necessarily. A, a a really good middle ground game, and I hope it's one that we talk about at some point. I I think Metro does this really nicely. The the tools that you get in Metro, like your flashlight, needs to be charged up manually. You've got like this pump that you charge it up with and um, I don't know if it's like a device for picking logs but you have to operate it kind of in stages uh, and I don't know if there is a kind of manual reload system where you have to press the button each time to put like another bullet in the chamber of the revolver but everything you sort of use in Metro feels mechanical and like it's got a, 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 a clockwork in it rather than something that just sort of happens automatically yeah um, no we definitely I don't know if you... oh sorry well, have either of you played it? Yeah, I uh, I've played a little bit of Last Light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it it does that stuff really well. So does Alien Isolation actually to an extent. Yeah, and um, I mean not to just list them all off, but uh, Red Orchestra Two is the only one I've played. But that's another game that has, uh, you know, for a war game, it makes shooting very deliberate and and kind of more difficult than you would expect. Yeah. Right, I've not played that, but I'd, I'd like to see that. I mean, yeah, that kind of thing I, I'm really interested in. I think Mirror's Edge brushes up against it. Um, 
when it gives you a gun. Yeah. Perhaps one. Th- if we were going to talk about one last thing, I mean, I, we've we've hit the sixty-minute point here, but I, I do wonder. It's something that we mentioned right at the start of the show. Is Mirror's Edge, uh, Mirror's Edge's position in kind of shooter history? You know, the, the year two thousand and eight. Uh, Modern Warfare had come out a year before. Modern Warfare two would be a year later. Call of Duty World at War was out two thousand and eight. The last World War Two game that they did. Um, Patrick, what do you? I don't know. It's kind of a broad question, but how would you say Mirror's Edge does or does not fit into the sort of trend of shooters that began with Modern Warfare? It was definitely the odd person out, um, as I think evidenced by the fact that just really nothing came of it. I mean, yes, there's a there's a sequel, but it was always kind of a misfit. Um, and I think it was kind of a misfit even for the developers because as we've talked about today, there are many points of incongruity just within the game's own design where it sort of rubs up against its own sensibilities in all the wrong kinds of ways, um, which is a shame because I think that Mirror's Edge has a ton that we can take from it. and There's a ton that, that shooter developers can learn from it just in terms of marrying theme to mechanics and in terms of characterization that doesn't revolve around cutscenes and dialogue um, but I think that we are still too married to these certain gamisms to really kind of explore those to their full potential and it's that's why I think Mirror's Edge is one of the more I'll say I don't it's not a bad game I actually really do like it but I'll say it's one of the more frustrating games I've played mm. because there are so many points where it comes so close to being Incredible and revolutionary in its mechanical and thematic sort of marriage, and then it just steps back from that line. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. Reed, how about you? That that is, I think, the fairest way to to say it. You know, I mm. said before, it's half a good game, and that's that's not really true. It's it's a frustrating game. There there's so much mm. that it does, and it makes a lot of sense why it developed this kind of cult following, and you know, enough of a enough of a cult following that it's you know led demand for a sequel um and it's 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 a really neat game it, it was trying a lot of different things uh i don't think you saw kind of like parkour uh first person kind of stuff happening in, in games before this you know it was mm. kind of floating around in the air i think the first assassin's creed was somewhere around uh oh six i believe yeah I thought it was 2007, Assassin's Creed 1. It was kind of in this area, right? So it's, it's, yeah. it seems like there was kind of... They're, they're neighbors, yeah. Yeah, there was this idea of, let's figure out how to let players kind of really move. Um, mm. Yeah, and I don't know. One thing it's always represented to me, too, is it, the kind of game that I don't think is really made anymore, right? Where it's you have this big studio... Uh, this big developer making this game that's kind of not not part of their their usual wheelhouse and is put out by a big publisher and it's this weird mm. thing that is you know an original game it's it's not a sequel or a reboot or anything and it's trying to do stuff um and that's always my favorite kind of game and mm. i i always kind of think of mirror's edge as this game that came out around that same time where that was still happening um yeah, and hopefully it does come back at some point. Um, these kind of middle of the road 
interesting but unevenly executed games. I, I hope they come back. Uh, me too. I'm right there with you. Those are my favorite things. Things that, yeah, uneven is, is absolutely right. You know, a, a big studio takes a chance on something and they do half of it right, half of it not quite there. But it's always, I think those are the most sort of interesting games to talk about and to, and to play. Yeah. Um, as a, a final comment on Mirror's Edge, one thing I will say in its favour, I, I think they got the length absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a fairly short game, and I think more games, to be honest, could, could benefit from that kind of length. Yeah, you wouldn't want this... That's actually one of the things that's a bit... Uh, disconcerting about this this sequel is I think it's big, you know, because if you're going to put out a game yeah. now, you have to make it big, and mm. I, I think there is something to be said about a game like this. Where can you imagine if the story was better and the you know the the gun stuff toward the end wasn't wasn't as bad? Then this would be a hell of a game. It's the kind of game that you could play once a year and and enjoy a great deal because mm. it doesn't overstay its welcome. Absolutely, yeah, it could be, and I, I still do enjoy it. And I, I, I've played it several times. I, I, I think there's a hell of a lot to like and uh, admire about Mirror's Edge, um, and we'll see how they get on with the sequel. Yeah, you got your face tattoo uh, ready for the midnight launch, right? I, I have, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got my appointment for my. Oh, you haven't actually got yours yet. That's coming. Yeah. I, I got I'm mine, but right. it gave me the Mike Tyson by mistake, so. Oh no! Yeah. Now you have to be in the next Hangover movie. I know. Me and Ed Helms. Oh god. I'm gonna <laughs> arrive at the midnight launch via the rooftop <laughs> and slide down the drain pipe to the front of the queue <laughs> with your oh, fuck with your messenger bag and your, your with my face messen- with my messenger bag and my face tattoo and my black vest and you're growing your hair out into a bob course as well i am yeah and wearing my red track <laughs> shoes beautiful yeah well, make sure yeah, to put that on away. social media just in time for the well i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna go pro the whole thing we'll, we'll see it on the news man man <laughs> dies buying video games. <laughs> man slips from drain pipe buried uh, yeah. as a jackass <laughs> local paper says <laughs> buried dressed as a jackass <laughs> It's what he would have wanted, says friend. Um, okay, well, Mirror's Edge Catalyst is probably a game that we'll do at some point in the future after we've uh, you know, all had a chance to buy it and play it and think about it, maybe quite a while in the future. Uh, between now and then, I think we're planning episodes on, you already mentioned, you know, 50 Cent Blood on the Sand. Yep. Uh, the, the 11 out of 10 Half-Life series. Uh, I'd also really like to do an episode on Goldeneye, although I don't know how easy it is to sort of acquire and play these days. Mm. Um, but that's that actually would be super interesting. Oh, Jesus, I'd love to talk about God. I could talk about Goldeneye all day. I'd love to play that again. I feel like I have that game in my bones. You know, yeah, that's like one of the earliest games I played. That I that it's I the owned. apple of my Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. My <laughs> resignation letter is pending. <laughs> So yeah, uh, until then, you can find this show on Twitter at BulletPointsPod, and you can find the rest of our episodes uh, probably the same place that you found this one, which is www.bulletpointspodcast.com. Uh, and if you go to the website, there is also now a small button 
to donate to our mutual PayPal account. Uh, we do run this podcast for free. It's just the three of us sort of talking into our laptops. And uh, if we had some money, then we could, you know, buy better equipment and maybe even buy Patrick a PlayStation so we could talk about that Last of Us. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to donate that 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 uncharted. Um, but yeah, if you like the show and you want to. Uh, chip in towards its upkeep we would greatly greatly appreciate any donations that you can make uh, you can also find me on twitter at most sincerely ed you can find reed at reed mccarter and patrick at han freaking solo and all of our collective writings will usually be found in those twitter feeds as well as uh, other information about the show and upcoming episodes So once again, thank you for listening and do join us again next time when I think we will probably be discussing, I don't know what we'll decide in the meantime. (laughs) Take care everyone and thank you again for listening. 